When I fancied that I stood alone, I was really in the ridiculous position of being backed up by all Christendom. It may be, heaven forgive me, that I did try to be original, but I only succeeded in inventing all by myself an inferior copy of the existing traditions of civilized religion. The man from the yacht thought he was the first to find England. I thought I was the first to find Europe. I did try to found a heresy of my own, and when I had put the last touches to it, I discovered that it was orthodoxy. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. Today we are leaving the world of fiction and entering the world of philosophy and faith. Uh, we are beginning our study of orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Woo-hoo. I'm very excited for this. As am I. Um, rereading the introduction this morning by myself laughing out loud again I say I feel like I say that every time but he's just so funny <laughs> yes he does always make me laugh so. it's been really nice reading it this time because this is my it's technically my fourth time but I'm not counting the first time that I read it because I feel like I didn't take in anything at all uh, the first attempt yeah but I'm feeling more confident reading it this time um gotcha which is really nice. That's a nice yeah, feeling I, to actually feel like you have <laughs> a handle, a grasp on something that you're reading. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, I don't know, the first time I tried to read it, I definitely didn't understand half of it. That was years and years ago. Um, in I didn't finish it. I read just a couple of chapters. But so this is kind of my first time, I guess, like really reading it through. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to kind of dive in you know yeah and I I'm especially excited because this is the book that a lot of people have approached me and probably you too about um oh I hope you go through orthodoxy because I don't understand it and but I know it's important and I want to <laughs> and so hopefully this series of um episodes will be really helpful to people who are a little intimidated but want to get through it and want to and want to glean something useful from from what Chesterton has written here so yeah absolutely we said this in the last episode um but you know we're not scholars we're <laughs> just lovers of Chesterton and we're trying to understand it ourselves and also help everybody out there to just kind of have like a guide to go through it with you so yeah. hopefully this can be great for for people who maybe more intimidated um by chesterton so yep wonderful grace what are you drinking tonight i actually don't have anything with me right now however um i'm on vacation this week in colorado and i had a friend of mine um, who's with me make these sort of mocktails with a bunch of extra fruit we we went to the grocery store and we bought way too many things and so <laughs> she um was creatively using all the fruit that we bought to make these little mocktails that were icy and lovely so that's Delicious. what I just finished but I'm not drinking anything right now okay wonderful well I'm I feel like oh we named this podcast pints with Chesterton and I haven't had a pint in so long <laughs> man I want a pint I know. um 
I've I'm I've had water and soup tonight, so that's not that's mm. super boring. <laughs> that's all. Um, it's life, people. You know. Yeah. Yeah. This is real life. Um, what did you read? Have you been reading anything this week while you've been on vacation? Actually, yes. Um, so I finally, oh my gosh, started reading Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, um, by Pope Benedict, yes. which I cannot believe I had never read before. I'm like sort of embarrassed about it, but, um, it's been on my shelf forever. And I was like, you know what, this week I'm going to be out in the mountains and I am going to read this book. And it is, amazing um I love it so much it parts of it confirm things that I like kind of had already learned or already known I'm actually discovering too I mean you know my love of Bishop Barron um that a lot of his teaching and a lot of his um even even a lot of the scripts of his Catholicism series and all these different things that I've watched by him um a lot of it is based directly in this book, I think, mm. um, I can see a lot of parallels, um, uh, things that I learned from Bishop Barron that are really coming from Pope Benedict. So that was kind of cool. Um, but also there's, there's points that I had never considered before, mm. of course. So there's these sort of profound insights and it's really kind of refocusing me and recentering me, um, on God. And my mind has been everywhere the last couple of months. And so it's been really, really good. And it continues to be really, really good, um, to focus. So that's awesome. What about you? Um, I finished Jane Eyre this week, and um, I loved it. <laughs> um, I talked a little bit about it previously, so I won't say too much. But basically, I I want to do a discussion group on this um, book, but I yeah. might just record a solo podcast episode. Do it, yeah. Just about Jane Eyre um, to talk about everything uh, <laughs> that I thought about while reading it. It's a great book and it really makes it makes you think about a lot of different moral problems mm-hmm. and a lot of these moral problems are still issues that like people are dealing with today so very very interesting to read like with modern eyes how basically sin is sin and there's <laughs> yeah. nothing new under the sun kind of mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but also just like the resilience the resiliency of human beings and like the beauty of standing by what you believe and virtue and I am very very happy that I read it again um so yeah I finished that this week and then just I've been reading orthodoxy so awesome yeah love it well let's dive in Sounds great. Um, okay, so this book was written in 1908, um, which is significant because it was pre-Chesterton's conversion to Catholicism, but it was after his conversion to Christianity. So, obviously, this book is uh, his, you know, <laughs> his way of proving proving orthodoxy. So, um he didn't actually become Catholic until the 1920s, but, um, so this book is not meant to be a, uh, proof for the Catholic church or for any denomination in particular, but that Orthodox Christianity is true and that he found mm-hmm. that the, um, the creed, um, that, he's discovered by uh investigating orthodox christianity um he finds to be valid he finds to be true so he's not addressing a particular denomination here he's addressing 
the the faith that Jesus Christ established Christianity um, more in general, right. which is kind of puts me in mind of mere Christianity a little bit um, by yeah, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, um, for sure. So that's important to keep in mind as we're going through this, that um, he's he has found there to be um, these solid doctrines that that cross over all of Christianity um, and not just one denomination. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that it's interesting because he even says that it's not really um, a defense in terms of like proofs that are like using deductive reasoning, you know, or something like that. It's not very scientific the way that he's going about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he says it's more of a sort of rambling, almost like an autobiography, like his, mm-hmm. his story personally of coming to believe in these truths and like why, um, why they make sense to him. And so he's using things that are more um, illustrative, I guess, like stories yes. and examples and analogies and things that kind of, um, piqued his own interest and helped him to kind of see the truth and the reality of this, not again in a more scientific way, but, um, just like a lived experience. So, um, so that's what's, I think makes it really interesting and makes it to me even more compelling in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, because you can talk about proofs all day. And I think that there are many very good ones, um, for Christianity, but, Chesterton's personal touch um, and just his own ability to write in such a yeah just illustrative and communicative way like uh, to kind of get across these ideas these pictures these images I think helps to kind of flesh out our understanding of the truth of Christianity yeah yeah he says he's going to reveal in a a vague and personal way how he's come (laughs) to believe that Christianity is true and not that Christianity can be believed, as you said, like he's not, this isn't a proof that he's giving, he's sharing his experience and what compelled him to become Christian. So yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful way to go about it. It's also challenging because he is going to, and this is, this is one of my tips for reading it is that the reason why people find it so challenging is that he's making an an overarching point in each of these chapters that we're going to go through, but he illustrates mm-hmm. it in 20 to 50 different ways with these <laughs> witty, witty little stories and sentences. And it's really easy to right. get bogged down by the individual little sentences that we're experiencing where every sentence feels brilliant and kind of in a different way, but he's actually proving a point in each of these chapters so something that we're going to try to help with is what is that overarching point or um experience that he's trying to share and then why does he use so many different illustrations of it you know in in order to express that um so yeah. And I, th- I think what's really interesting about this book too, and this is very Chestertonian again, like going back to his background as a journalist, he's on the scene, he's talking to all these different journalists and these philosophers and these different people who are writing and publishing their works in like, you know, magazines and newspapers and all of these things. And so he's very much, um, 
talking about these things in response to challenges that he's getting from other thinkers and journalists at the time. Yes. Um, so he's presenting his views and people are um, challenging them or attacking them or countering them in some ways. And so this book um, is a response um, sort of, and he even admits sort of a quick and hasty response to being challenged to describe what his philosophy is or what his worldview is. Yes. Um, and that came from somebody called G.S. Street. Yes. Do you know anything about him? Yeah. So um, G.S. Street was a, um, he believed in like cosmic theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when you research that, I think today it means it's developed to mean some different things than what it meant originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, um it can involve anything from Big Bang Theory to dark matter to multiverse theories. Um, but Chesterton found his theory, and I'm not sure exactly what specifically G.S. Street was preaching at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, he is frustrated by G.K. Chesterton because he finds him to be critical, but not doesn't, you know, G.K. Chesterton hasn't provided what his own personal philosophy is. He's just been criticizing others. Um, Mm. The uh, copy that I have um, of this book was a birthday gift, actually. And it's like one of the only annotated versions in existence that it's not in print anymore. So my Oh, wow. Sweet husband found this somewhere for me, and I don't want to know how much it costs. But yeah. the annotations are really helpful. Um, so this one was annotated by Craig Kib- Kibler. Um, and it's really interesting because uh, at the beginning of this story when, uh, or the preface, excuse me, when um, Gilbert talks about how this book is in is a companion to Heretics, where he does make criticism of um, lots of different philosophies. Um, There's an annotation here that says um, some of the philosophies that he was criticizing at the time were collectivism, Tolstoyanism, non-feudalism, communism, anarchy. And I love that. Um, And I I haven't read Heretics, um, but... I love that because he, in his fiction a lot, which is more so what Grace and I have talked about on this podcast, he has characters who are communists, who are anarchists, mm. who, um, you know, like he's clearly studied these philosophies and found them to right. be lacking. But he um, appreciates the people, as we've always said before. He, like, appreciates right. the people behind them and aspects of what they're trying to do. And so it's really Mm -hmm. cool to see him in this book. He's going to really like lay out in a more um, intellectual way rather than fictional way. Some Mm -hmm. of those characters that we've seen in his fiction. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that Chesterton, we've said this before, but he has something so much to offer us, especially today when we, we don't know how to disagree with people and still be friends with them, you know? Um, And I think Chesterton was, just such the perfect person 
as an example for us um, in that, because even in, in this writing, in this chapter, he's talking <laughs> about his critics um, and he says things like um, several critics for whose intellect I have a warm respect or yes. um, even like Shaw. He po- he always pokes fun at Shaw yeah. and like all his works. Poor but Shaw. <laughs> he, I know. Right. But he says for a man of his mental activity could invent a sophistry every six minutes, <laughs> which was sort of a dig. But it was also like you're smart, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. And then he says um, to all of his critics at some point, I offer this book with the heartiest sentiments to all the jolly people who hate what I write. <laughs> and he and what's funny about Chesterton is like he's not really being sarcastic. Like he really no. does appreciate these people. Yes. And he's he so really genuine. is humble yeah. about what he's writing, you know. Um, yeah. He's he's very clear about the fact that, you know, we, we've quoted before, too, I think um, his famous uh, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Um, and yes. so he's very quickly putting together these books as like a response to yeah. these people's challenges. Yeah. Um, and he recognizes like, look, this is hasty. This isn't the best. Like, you know, it's probably going to be dull. And which he says I he's not, o- he's not even going to read it himself when it's complete. Right. <laughs> he says yeah. that at the beginning of this book, you know, he's yeah. like, well, I certainly wouldn't read it. <laughs> Right, right. He goes, um, and some people might regard it very justly, for all I know, as a piece of poor clowning or a single tiresome joke. <laughs> um, so he's he's talking about how people may not take um, him seriously, but he's also kind of claiming, like, no, no, like, I really... I am the fool of this story. Like he has this great line where he says, yeah, I am the fool of this story and no rebel shall hurl me from my throne. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just so good. But he's like, he's being very honest. Like, look, the whole point of this story is that I am a fool. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, the whole point of this story is that I thought I was being all, you know, smart and coming up with these worldviews and these philosophies. And I just realized that I was, you know, behind the times that like the church, the Christian church had already said the things that it took me this long to discover. And yes, so, but yeah. he's like, but it's a happy finding, you know? Yeah. And so that's, um, his, I guess his whole attitude in this book seems to be very playful and good natured and happy. And he's, he himself is happy and confident because he really does believe in the goodness of Christianity, you know, he's yeah, experienced the truth it. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I don't know if this will be helpful for people, but I just wanted to define orthodoxy before we like yeah. continue discussing this um, preface and first chapter. Um, so orthodoxy uh, authorized or generally accepted theory, doctrine or practice. It comes from a Latin word orthodoxia, meaning sound doctrine. Um, so that can kind of ground us as we're going that this is what um, what Gilbert is sharing with us is what he has found to be sound doctrine. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's going to be, I, th- I think one of the reasons that he um, uses so many examples is to reach many of us in different ways mm-hmm. um, as we go. And so it it's going to be fun to see how much of his orthodoxy we agree with how much of his sound Mm. doctrine we agree with um so the book is kind of structured as he puts in his own words as speculations and doubts which are suddenly satisfied for him like Mm. Mm -hmm. and as grace said earlier i think that is actually more convincing to me and more interesting to me than just reading a set of proofs from someone absolutely 
It's like the head and the heart meeting. Right. And it's more convicting when you have somebody who has actually even believed the opposite and lit tried to live the opposite. And then in that, they practically discover that it doesn't work. And I feel like Chesterton is that person like he we've talked about before how he's gone to very dark places in his life and he's believed things that were very contrary to Christianity um, and lived things that were very contrary to Christianity. And in that actual walk, um, he comes to these realizations. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's way more convincing, um, when someone has actually taken things seriously enough to live them. So, um, I was really, uh, kind of excited by his whole idea I guess like that he sets up this problem in the beginning that he's contemplating and it's kind of made him think about orthodoxy and think about Christianity. Um, he says, how can we contrive to be at once astonished at the world and yet at home in it? So in other words, this paradox or this problem that we experience as human beings, that the world is wild and crazy and wonderful and like, kind of beyond us in our understanding um, but yet at the same time it's our home in a way um, at least for the time being and so that that kind of seems to contradict in some ways um, Mm -hmm. at least on the surface and so he's trying to satisfy both of these these things to, to try to live both of these things like how can I be astonished by the world but also feel at home in it Mm. um and so he sets that up as kind of the problem or the thing that needs solving. Um, and then he says, like, as his thesis, like, he's going to try to show that Christianity answers that problem. And it gives, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like a, this paradoxical answer that, that answers both sides of mm-hmm. that, that issue. Yeah, absolutely. That was that surprisingly satisfied uh, that surprising satisfaction that like he talks about mm-hmm. that um, and and we know that he uses paradox I mean we've seen that a lot in his fiction that we've been reading and talking about and he's mm-hmm. going to continue to read it here because he finds Christianity to be the the greatest paradox um, right it seems as you said it seems self-contradictory or absurd or but when investigated it is found to be true and it's Mm -hmm. found to be not absurd. So yeah, he talks about at one point in this first chapter, um, the reality of faith, how it's strange yet secure. Uh, Mm. There's wonder, but welcome uh, happiness, but not a mere comfort. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of these things coexist together happily within Christianity. And he's, I think he is, uh, probably first stunned by that and then convinced by it, you know? Right. Yeah. I think, um, well, he says as sort of part of his thesis, I think this is near the, near the end of the chapter, but he says, these essays are concerned only to discuss the actual fact that the central Christian theology sufficiently summarized in the apostles creed is the best root of energy and sound ethics. So like he has this, I don't know. He sees this like verve, this like excitement in that Christianity offers, but also it's like this grounded sound, like ethical system, but it's more than that, you know? Yeah. Um, and just kind of, like you said, they both happily coexist. Like there's, yeah, it just all 
seems to fall into place for him. And he calls honestly that, um, that tension between those two things that seem to be opposites of romance. And he talks about Rome, like ancient Rome and the, the root of that. And I had never considered the root of that. And I don't know, is the root of that actually Rome? Romance? Yeah, I that think word? so. Do we yes. know? Uh, we should yeah. find out. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. So, I should have I should have looked mean, that up because I was wondering it. <clears throat> well, and he talks about how he's the that mixture of familiar and unfamiliar that you said, like he calls it romance. Christians call it romance. And he finds that to be mm. correct. And mm-hmm. when you think about um, so many of the things within the Christian um, religion you see mystery and um, obvious truth coexisting all of the time. I mean, just in the sacraments, for example, or mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. just in the existence of God and how he is truly existing, truly there, but also not seen by us. And mm-hmm. this... Uh, being greater greater than our comprehension there's mystery right. beyond beyond what we can know here mm-hmm. um yeah i i like his example of the yachtsman who goes <laughs> on his adventure that really that illustration really did help me to um understand what he was getting at mm-hmm. um and I think Chesterton is just really good at that, at giving us examples that we can understand and really relate mm-hmm. to. But so he talks about this um, man traveling out and thinking that he's discovering an island in the South Seas, a new island. And <laughs> I love the descriptions like, you know, he's silently um, coming aboard this island, basically, and, you know, only speaking in signs, like thinking, mm-hmm. you know, thinking of impending that no danger. That English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just like not knowing what, you know, the terror of not knowing what you're about to discover. And then um, finding out that you've actually landed back in England at Brighton. Mm-hmm. And um, I I like what he says about this. It says, um, from the from the first view, he would seem like an utter fool. And he would feel foolish for this pretty preposterous situation where he sets out for the South Seas but ends up back in England. Right. Um, and he says, but if if he's the kind of man that I think he is, and he mentions a few times in this chapter like that he's written this book for ordinary people. So if you're if you're extra if you're extra <laughs> special, you might not you might not appreciate this. He's like, but if he's the kind of person that I think he is he was delighted and joyful that he had rediscovered England. Um, yeah. And I, I was trying to understand that at first because I thought, you know, the first time I read this, I thought, I don't I don't know. It takes away some of the excitement of, mm. you know, he thought he was discovering this this new place. And, you know, what could that have been like? Um, mm-hmm. But I think his point is that he... He got to have some of the terror and excitement, but then he was yeah uh, he was discovering something that was actually very old and established and beautiful and um, secure and so many things, but also an adventure in its own way because you know I anyway so I and I think you know this is what he's getting at with 
thinking that he's founding this new philosophy or heresy, as he calls it. And, yeah. and then realizing that all of the truths that he's discovering and piecing together to form his personal philosophy are already established in this by this organization called the 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 Christian faith, you know, by the right. church. And it's actually it is a joyful thing to discover that that responsibility of um discovery is not all on you. The responsibility of finding the truth is not all on you. Um others and God have gone before you to blaze this trail for you um and then you're just participating in it right yeah I think I think that this whole idea I mean we said he wrote this in 1908 um so this is a couple years before he wrote Man Alive and I think that Man Alive is sort of a fleshed out version of this I think the point that he is making with this yachtsman where he, like you were saying, he has this terror, but then it's like actually comfortable and and not comfortable, but it's, um, it, it turns out to be home-like, you know, like he knows that this is his home and that's actually exciting. I feel like that's kind of the spiritual point of man alive, right? That he is like on this adventure that's sort of off the wall, but yet he's trying, his whole point is to rediscover what he already knows. So it's not as if, um, when he goes through this adventure on the other end of it, he's like, oh, everything is just back to the way it was. It's not back to the way it was, just like the man discovering England again. It's like when he discovers England, yes, it's familiar, but it's also not familiar. And he's holding those two things in tension. And he kind of maybe before saw England as something comfortable that he like understood and whatever. But now that he's seen it from a different angle, it's like he doesn't understand it anymore, you know, but it's like a good way. Um, It sort of revives what was there to begin with. You know, you just explained that so well. Yes, (laughs) exactly. I think that I think, too, that. um, Yeah, I don't know. I just I think a lot of the the lines that he was using reminds me of Man Alive. One of the things he says is that um, it recounts my elephantine adventures in pursuit of the obvious. And I feel like that's exactly what Innocent Smith is constantly doing is like literally like elephantine like this like these massive ridiculous things but yet he's pursuing the obvious like the thing that's right in front of your face you know and trying to get you to see it um but it also made me think of that poem that I love the convert Mm -hmm. um that I am Lazarus and I live he says I am that man in the yacht I discovered England yes um and he kind of does that with with the convert as well because in that poem yeah he talks about kind of following all these different um, you know, old riddles, new creeds, um, all of these sages that have a hundred maps to give and trace their crawling cosmos like a tree. They rattle reason out through many a sieve, you know, so he's talking about all these different philosophies and all these different things, some old, some new, and he's considered a lot of these things, you know, like you were saying, he's kind of explored different, um, different philosophies and different ways of living. But at the end of the day, my name is Lazarus and I live like, he experienced something that jolted him out of all of these sort of, you know, cerebral like understandings of the world. And he kind of saw the obvious, um, in a new way and kind of recognized that he had known it all along without really recognizing it, you know? Um, and that not only he, but like he said, the, the Christian faith, like had already spoken about it, you know, he says 1800 years before he did. Yes. Um, and so there's something that's, 
shocking and foolish about that, but also exciting and, and comforting about that. Yeah, completely. He's seeing it. He's seeing it all with new eyes. And it's, I don't know, it's really special getting to see this or getting to read this book because it gives us this window into him at this time of his life, obviously, but also Mm -hmm. how wonderful that those men challenged him when he criticized, like in his criticism of GS Street and of all of these Mm -hmm. other writers who, whose philosophies he studied, but found lacking in some way or false in some way Mm -hmm. um it pushed him to define for himself what it was that he did believe right and what a gift for us that he lays it out for us here um yeah and yeah I love I love how you talked about um how you don't come back and everything's just the same and you're the same it's like Mm -hmm. once once you've defined what it is that you believe, it changes everything, right? If you're right. saying that this is the creed that you believe and you're going to live it, then it really transforms everything. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There was there was another reference, too, I wanted to bring up since we we're on the topic. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking of all of these other works that he has written that I've read, especially fictional works. Again, he loves explaining philosophy through images, which I think is so helpful. Um, but I don't, have you read the man who was Thursday? Oh yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. So I, I love, I love, love the man who was Thursday and I cannot wait hopefully for us to read it at some point. Um, those were the anarchists. Super, I was thinking yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so he says, he says there may or may not be some entertainment in reading how I found at last in an anarchist club or a Babylonian temple, what I might have found in the nearest parish church. And I think that reminded me of the man man who was Thursday because there's an anarchist club in that in that novel but um and it also has a lot to do with kind of things not being as they seem and you know it's super it's a trip that book I love it I can't wait to talk about it at some point yeah we'll we'll have to we'll have to make that a future study on here for sure I've only read it once actually I read it a year or two ago but I enjoyed it so much and also at the end I was like what the heck just what? happened? Yeah, <laughs> I know the first. Wait, who the was first that? time I read it? <laughs> I read it three times, and the first time I read it, I was like, "I love this," and I have no idea what he's trying to say. <laughs> and I was like super confused, but I knew that it was genius, and I loved it. And it was so—it's just so um, fast-paced and suspenseful, and you are like, "What's going to happen next?" You know. Um, and then, so the second time I read it. I was like, okay, I think I have an idea of what he's trying to say. And then the third time I read it, I was like, and I got some other friends to read it with me or read it um, and then talk about it with me. And I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm getting the point here. Guys, Grace (laughs) is just giving a definition of how to read Chesterton, period. Yeah, you got to read it several times. (laughs) It's really true. The best way. That honestly, I think as we go through these chapters and like some of them are are a little bit more challenging. This first chapter. Mm -hmm. It's pretty straightforward. He's saying, right, yeah. I'm going to define my philosophy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not so confusing, but as we go forward, it's it's a great idea to just read through it once. Don't get bogged down by every single sentence because I found mm-hmm. myself highlighting and underlining and writing all of these sentences where I was like, that's brilliant. I, I need oh, to yeah. remember that. <laughs> and then totally. I, would miss the, I would miss what he was actually trying to say. 
Um, but yeah, rereading definitely is the best way. Well, the second, when we do go through The Man Who Is Thursday, that'll be my second time going through. So I'm going to be, I'm excited to do that because I feel like I definitely have more that I can get from that book. And I also just enjoyed it so much. I would enjoy going yeah, through it yeah. again. It's great. It's suspenseful. Um, and I think that's what keeps you kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen next? But anyways. One of the things that I think that helps Chesterton to define to define this um, philosophy of his, this orthodoxy, which I should probably stop calling it his because he says God and humanity made it and it made me. Mm-hmm. It's not my mm-hmm. own. Um, but right. is he, I was reminded of um, a, ter- a phrase that C.S. Lewis uses um, about chronological snobbery, which yes. is yes. basically believing that everything that in the present in the modern age whatever age you live in is better than what came in the past right or what came before right things are outdated Mm -hmm. and we've progressed past you know Mm -hmm. whatever and I think a big part of anybody actually realizing that Christianity is true is overcoming that to some extent because yeah um well frankly I talked to somebody (laughs) I talked to a a listener, a radio listener the other day at work who said, um, I don't believe in Christianity because I think we've progressed past religion. Like that was something mm. that we needed at one time, but we're, you know, we're advanced. We've progressed past mm-hmm. that now. And I thought that was such an interesting um, statement to make. So I was chatting with him, obviously more about it um, in disagreement, yeah. but you know, it's, interesting to hear somebody say that so but I think that Mm. G.K. Chesterton um he realizes that he was attempting to create something create this modern thing this right this progressive philosophy of his that's Mm -hmm. unique that no one else has ever discovered all of these truths that I'm putting together and Mm. there's a there's a pride in that yeah, right that's what like, I was gonna say yeah yeah absolutely and I love how he describes it he kind of turns it on him back on himself um by you think you're this very sophisticated intellectual adult like person right who's coming up with all these ideas but then he says I did like all other solemn little boys try <laughs> to be in advance of the truth and I found that I was 1800 years behind it yes. and I just I love that because it's so true it's it's very childish to think like I need to be the center of attention I need to be the one that figures everything out I need to be independent I need to be you know the best or whatever and the smartest and all of this kind of stuff but it is such a trap and I think we really have to be aware of of trying to be original all the time yeah. I think you see people all the time in in academia especially like you know oh you can't even you know publish anything if it's not original you know or something right. but it's like but is that really but we're all drawing is that on really the intelligence greats. yeah it's like yeah. we're all standing on the shoulders of giants you yeah. know it's like we don't we didn't come up with this stuff on our own like we're getting it yeah. from other people and so I think seeing the connectedness of all human beings and how we all are kind of working together to understand the world around us is like really the thing that is more um advanced I don't know if that's the right word but you know I think being able to see all of that together also another point that he makes along that line um is he says I only succeeded in inventing all by myself an inferior copy of the existing traditions of civilized religion Mm. and I think that 
that is what we do as well, where we think like, oh, I don't need religion anymore. Like that guy, maybe that you were talking to. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we create our own, you know, and we don't call it religion. Maybe it looks different or the thing that we're worshiping is not like some divine being that we would call God or something like that. But we have a religion. Yeah. But we have a religion. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I guess how we define religion maybe matters, but like, um, if it's like, you know, something that's the, your life's philosophy, it's something that you worship, it's something that your life revolves around, it's the rituals that you go through in order to live what you think is going to bring you greatest fulfillment and happiness, you know, like whatever Absolutely. it is, it's like, that's your religion, you know, yeah. there's an awesome song, this is me being a, you know, John Foreman fan, junkie, switchfoot, anyway, um, but there's this song that he has where he keeps repeating all these things over and over again, like, um, like, all your your science, your religion, all your wars are your religion. Everything that you say and do is your religion. Every breath you take is your religion. Yeah. Um, and he's basically trying to make the point that like religion is not something that anybody can escape. It's like we yeah. <laughs> like they're gonna human make something into our religion. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And so, um, so then Chesterton in saying like, no, these things are already here. So like, let's try to discover their truth. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not that in once discovering that Christianity is true, like, okay, well, okay, I guess I'm done. Um, like I'm not (laughs) learning anything new or I'm not, it's like, no, this is a, this is an infinite path of discovery and adventure that you're embarking on. But the, the experiences and the truths revealed by God and by people before us are very Mm. helpful and very, and they're a part of our story as well. And mm-hmm. I find it super comforting and encouraging that we can look back at the writings of the early church fathers and mm-hmm. at the saints and, mm-hmm. you know, like even, you know, like non-religious people throughout history as well who um, have different talents and strengths than I have. There's no mm-hmm. way that I would discover everything that's been discovered in my short lifetime so it's right. a gift to be able to glean from them what they spent their life doing. I mean, we live for such a short amount of time, we couldn't discover all there is to know. And I right. think non-religious people would admit that as well, that like, let's say their field is chemistry or art or whatever it may be, they may claim to be doing something original in that field, but they're really, I mean, I'm sure they would admit that they're drawing on science of the, of thousands of years and art from thousands Mm -hmm. of years. And like what people have done before and what people have discovered before are these building Mm -hmm. blocks that they are working with. You know what I mean? And so it's not Mm -hmm. that different to then look at Christianity and say, well, I don't need to find my new religion today or my new philosophy today. I'm building on like what Christ established and and what basically the church continued for all of this time, just yeah, as you do with think, anything else. Right. And I think the beauty of, of Christianity is its universality that like even though there is this like orthodoxy or this doctrine that kind of applies in all places and all times, that's what Chesterton's arguing, um, it doesn't make it flat and stale like I think some people assume that it will be that like it applies 
to very different people in very different circumstances who are going to live it out in very different ways and yet still holding to that core um, of reality, you know? Um, and I think also like you're saying, especially with the example of art, I think there are people who are especially in art, like constantly trying to push the limits of like, nobody's ever done this before. Mm -hmm. And I think when people try to be so original that they're not building on anybody else that's come before them, or at least that's what they're thinking. Um, it ends up being kind of (laughs) crappy to be honest, you know, (laughs) like you see it and you're like, what's the point of this? Like, is the point of this just to be original? Like, is that it? Like, is that the only thing that, that is supposed to be like cool about this piece of art, you know, because a lot of times you see it and you're like, that's weird. I don't know. Like it just doesn't have any sort of universal or transcendent like beauty, you know? And like just the fact that you as a unique human being never created before by God, never to be created again, like never to be repeated, like just you creating your art even if it's in a style that like let's say it's like classical painting or whatever you can tell I'm really well versed in uh terms for (laughs) art um it's going to be original because you are creating it and nobody can create it the way that you create it like as with things and I think we'll see this as we continue reading in like in the Christian life or in life in general, people think that certain things are going to be monotonous and stale. Like mm-hmm. you said, mm-hmm. like motherhood, for example, or fatherhood. It's mm-hmm. like, ugh, like I don't want to just be a mom or whatever. You know, there's this idea of um, family or um, like, I don't know, in the church, like going to church every week, you know, right. That yeah, it's like yeah. how monotonous, how stale, but Um, just the fact that you as an unrepeatable individual who loves God and is loved by God are, Mm. uh, living this life that he has, um, endowed you're Mm -hmm. like, you are doing it in this unique and beautiful way that nobody else can repeat. Even if it looks the same to somebody else from the outside, like me taking my family to mass or whatever might look like all these other families taking, you know, their own kids to mass. And we are participating in the same liturgy. And, but I am individually doing something special that like God has allowed me to do because I'm not repeatable. Nobody else can do it exactly how I will. Right. And the way that you're receiving God's revelation within that mass, you know, experience is going to be so different than the person sitting right next to you, you know. And so, yeah, like people have this fear of being, you know, robots or everybody's the same or whatever. And like, that's not what it is. There's this beautiful paradox of that, you know, again, that base of of reality and existence, but yet everybody being this beautiful, unique, unrepeatable, you know, expression of God. Um, and his love and his image and all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I just, I think that's really great. And I think also it's, again, it's the whole point of man alive that we just read that you see what seems monotonous. You see what seems the same. You see what see like what you see every single day of your life. And yet he's trying to get us to see it again, you know, <laughs> like, like look at it again. Cause there's something else that you're missing. You know, there's something more, there's more beauty to be tapped like from this, this experience. Um, 
And that's why in that book, he's constantly trying to snap himself awake to kind of see what's already right in front of his face. Um, And I think that, again, that's Chesterton's, one of his hallmarks is this childlike wonder and trying to cultivate that wonder in our lives and help us to see what is so beautiful and crazy right in front of us. Um, And he says this in in this chapter. he says it's one thing to describe an interview with a gorgon or a griffin, a creature who does not exist. It is another thing to discover that the rhinoceros does exist and then take pleasure in the <laughs> fact that he looks as if he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and just, I, I don't know, I thought that was a that great example of very, a very Chesterton thing. Like he would freak yeah. out in a good way with this wonder and excitement at something that, yeah. you know, maybe you just never really thought of. I've heard yeah. people say before, um, if, if you've ever been on an airplane, um, if you've ever had the experience of being on an airplane and thinking to yourself while you're on the airplane, like I am in a metal tube, like being catapulted across the sky at like 500 miles an hour or whatever, like this is crazy. Like how is this happening? You know, yeah. and just kind of being like in wonder and awe of that circumstance, which is, can be very mundane, especially for people who are traveling or flying all the time. Right. Um, you know, just kind of remind yourself of the reality that you're experiencing. Um, And I think on the one hand, you have somebody like Chesterton, who, I mean, wonder, wonder and awe is a a gift of the Holy Spirit, right, within Christianity. Um, And then on the other hand, he points out, um, he talks about people being flippant. And he talks about how he hates flippancy, but he always gets accused of it because I think he's so quirky and whimsical people think he's being silly or if he's just like making a joke and he's like no I'm completely serious about this silliness you know yeah. <laughs> it's like a child <laughs> who's completely serious yeah. about their silly game that they're playing and yeah. it's like if anybody tries to call it silly they're like no 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 this is serious you know and Chesterton is like that his playfulness is serious and solemn and his uh, enjoyment like, doesn't mean that it's not real right yeah. and and people who are trying to be flippant um he he, he basically says, I mean, it's that whole thing that he talks about Shaw, um, but he says it's as easy as lying because it is lying. People just trying to make jokes for making jokes sake. Yeah. People just trying to be silly to be silly or to get laughs or to get rises out of people. Even within, if you're talking about like in philosophy or in academic circles and you're talking about these ways of life and living and, and believing and all this stuff. Um, and you're just kind of throwing jabs and making jokes and being flippant. It's like, cool you're funny but you're not discovering anything real whereas with Chesterton and his silliness he's really pointing at something that is like the ground of reality (laughs) you know and it's like even though it's silly it's like this is this has substance like this isn't just me trying to make a joke you know yeah yeah that's great that's a great point well do you have any other notes about this first chapter that you wanted to share with everybody um I don't think so. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much sums up my notes. Great. Um, well, so as we've been talking about, so this is the, basically the introduction chapter to this book and it's going to be an adventure to go through the rest of it. So the, the chapter we'll do next week is chapter two called the maniac. And I will leave you guys to discover and read what that is about um but it's quite a fun chapter it's actually it's one of my favorite chapters of the book so um <laughs> get your highlighters people yes get your highlighters <laughs> um and yeah as i said before i think 
you know, try to not get too bogged down by um, each little witty thing that he's going to say. Read through it and maybe read through it again if you can. None of these chapters are very long. So um, Mm -hmm. kind of the more times I think that his words kind of cross over your eyes, the the better that you're going to understand what you're reading. So and then we'll discuss it next week. Um, Before we go, do you have anything that you're especially grateful for this week? Yes, I am. I'm currently and my sound might be different because of the house that I'm in right now, but I'm currently in Colorado, which is my happy place. Um, And so I'm just so, so, so grateful for um, this. I'm on vacation, you know, so being on vacation in the mountains, um, sunshine and like amazing, beautiful weather. This place is like not even real. I don't know. (laughs) I'm out in Crested Butte in the very remote mountain town. Um, And it's just I'm full of joy every time I'm out here. So I'm very grateful for that. That's awesome. Well, I'm not grateful for anything quite so big as that, but we have been having <laughs> summer weather here in San Yay. Diego and um it's our last like full summer here for a while since we're moving and mm. I've been really really enjoying it. Like windows down really sunny and hot and breezy and just feeling nostalgic about all of my childhood summers in San Diego and going to the beach and the pool and stuff and it's just been really really nice and like that's awesome everything feels more relaxing when the weather is Mm. so beautiful Mm -hmm. so very grateful for that um and very grateful that we're embarking on this book because I feel like yes it's a challenge for me to go through it and yeah but it it just yields such good fruit every time that I do go through it so I'm really really excited for this me too all right well I hope you all have a wonderful week uh or weekend I guess since we put these out (laughs) on Fridays and may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy cheers cheers